Delano's Top of the Week. It's that time of the week when we have Delano in the studio to talk about a topic that's in the news. We look at some events that are coming up in Luxembourg and then there's always a personal pick from whoever is in. Today we've got Cordula with us. Good morning, Cordula. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Fine. Did you have a good Easter break? We we didn't do this last week because it was obviously bank holiday. Did you get up too much? Not really, <laughs> to be honest. I just went for a walk. I went to the e Mycin and um, I yeah, was there too. My first time, actually. Quite, uh-huh. quite lovely. Did you did you buy a pick for your team? I did, and then I I uh, I, um, I was in the next day, and I was whistling it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was annoying for people. Played a little game with it, but uh, no, I thought it was really nice. Yeah. Well, uh, today we're talking about Luxembourg's National Energy and Climate Plan, uh, which is up for review. The government is going to present a draft update this afternoon. What is the National Energy and Climate Plan? So all EU countries had to submit this kind of plan to the European Commission in 2019. And they essentially set out how countries will achieve the EU's goal to reduce um, carbon emissions by 55% by 2030 um, and become carbon neutral by uh, 2050. Um, So that includes targets to also increase the share of renewable energies um, for Luxembourg specifically from 11% in 2020 to 25% by 2030. So it's quite a significant increase. Um, And also to, for example, increase energy efficiency um, so that people use less energy, for example, by improving insulation of homes. Um, It's a 200 page document. (laughs) It's quite extensive. Um, And it addresses also like a really wide range of topics, for example, also including preventing energy poverty um, but also research and development into um, uh, like hydrogen and other types of energies so it's really quite a quite a comprehensive plan and yeah that's uh, that's up for review and why is why is the review happening now well so it's mandatory as part of this eu strategy for each member country to submit an updated version of the plan by the 30th of june um the idea is obviously for countries to sort of to review what they have achieved so far, whether they can set more ambitious targets nationally compared to what they've already done. Um, and it also means that they can really take into account kind of the latest uh, research and findings um, on climate change. For example, from the, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on, on Climate Change, the IPCC, which releases all of these annual reports, um, and also the results from the last COP, for example, um, the COP27 meeting. Um, so it's really, yeah, it's an opportunity for all member countries to sort of sit down again um, and see if they're still on the right track. So uh, what's likely to happen after this review? Will we be seeing some changes to the way the government has its policy on, on energy efficiency and things like that? So the government this afternoon, uh, they're presenting um, a sort of draft update, um, mm-hmm. what they've worked on up until now. Um, so that's the, the Prime Minister, Xavier Bettel, together also with the Ministry of the Economy, um, the Minister for Energy, and also the Minister for um, the Environment, Climate and Sustainability, which is one very big ministry. <laughs> um, and that really should include already kind of input, for example, from the Citizens Climate Council, because um, they got together last year, 100 people, um, that submitted proposals and recommendations to the government on how to c- tackle the climate crisis. Um, and so the, what we will see next is that this draft that they're um, presenting this afternoon will be open for public consultation. So really anyone, any member of the public um, can submit their feedback on it. Um, but also a lot of um, you know NGOs, business federations, industry federations will submit their opinions. Um, and then based on those, that input will sort of flow into the final document that will then be presented to to Brussels. So 
We haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be presented this afternoon. Um, but you yeah. said people can leave uh, their feedback. What's the mm-hmm. process for that? How can people do that? So what usually happens is that these documents are published online. Mm-hmm. Um, on uh, most likely, it will be the um, Environment Ministry's website, um, and you can then find the instructions there on on how to submit your feedback but normally it's a fairly straightforward uh, process where you can either like submit something online send in emails um so it's it's one i think not a lot of people know about this possibility to mm-hmm. submit feedback it exists for quite a lot of things actually um for a fair amount of uh, these sort of like public projects also in the procedure for example for some like architectural projects for redesigning i don't know whole districts of cities etc um there is a public consultation process um so yeah the people can can give their feedback um and i think in the the for the last one so when they presented the first uh, energy and climate plan there was around, I don't know, 330 people or so who submitted feedback, um, but also 30 kind of NGOs and, and other groups. It's interesting. Um, uh, I mean, so a bit later today, sh- uh, does that mean we're going to know how Luxembourg's performed so far in meeting its climate goals and whether we're on the right track? So the the government in March um, uh, kind of released data on Luxembourg's CO2 emissions for 2021, um, which showed that overall it had... Um, sort of met its its targets, but a closer look kind of also reveals that this is very much dependent on different sectors. Um, so under this plan, which is also called the PNEC, so if you ever hear a politician call about, talk about the PNEC, um, which is the Plan National d'Energie du Climat, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's better than NECP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so as part of this plan, there are specific goals for five different sectors that includes industry and manufacturing, transport, agriculture, waste and wastewater management and then the last one is residential and tertiary buildings and tertiary buildings that includes anything from kind of offices and schools logistics centers hospitals that kind of thing and so if you look at the detailed results for 2021 you see that overall Luxembourg managed to achieve its target but actually it only it really only achieved it in two of these sectors in um, transport and agriculture and the other three sectors um, exceeded their carbon budget, mm-hmm. so the amount of emissions that they were allocated for that year. Um, I mean, industry and manufacturing even exceeded its emission by um, around 30%, mm-hmm. which is quite significant. Um, so does that mean that uh, transport and agriculture kind of um, achieved their targets by quite a big margin to make up for the, the overshoot in the others? Or yeah, so I think, I think um, transport um, exceeded its target by sort of minus... 6.7% or so mm-hmm. and agriculture I think by minus 1.6 okay. um, and there is sort of there is some sort of like trade-off <laughs> between sectors mm-hmm. um, and so it is in a way it is kind of the overall amount that counts but mm-hmm. I think um, it 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 also shows that there are some sectors that really that still need to work on becoming greener yeah. and more sustainable um, and more energy efficient. And is, is it obvious where those shortcomings in the other sectors are coming from and what needs to be done to um, get them on track to reach their goal, the climate goals. So this is part also of, of this analysis to kind of look at where are these sectors, maybe not going wrong, mm-hmm. but where could they do better? Yeah. Um, whether that is by um, switching to uh, greener sources of energy, um, for example, in industry, is it where is it viable for industry to switch to 
um, you know, green or renewable sources of energy, um, looking at energy efficiency. Um, there are also there are various government schemes, for example, to use like the roofs of buildings to install solar panels, um, which will help a company become less dependent on fossil fuels and all of these kind of things. So that all of that will also flow into this review um, to kind of see where are the areas also in terms of policy where could the government for example offer more subsidies um what makes sense um to get different different areas on track because on in in the area of mobility a lot has been done Mm -hmm. with all of these um, subsidies to buy electric vehicles um a lot of public money also going into public um charging infrastructure um and in a way we can see that reflected in the results um, that the transport sector has actually done really well on saving emissions. So it also now is about translating that success into, into other areas. And do you know uh, what Luxembourg's emissions are like? How do we kind of perform next to other countries? So according to this data that they released in, uh, in March, Luxembourg emitted the equivalent of 8,073,234 tonnes of CO2. Right. Um, and that was 1.3% below like the allocated carbon budget. Um, now, to compare the, the global average per capita, um, that was around 4.7 tons per person. Um, like It's kind of globally, so that's not Luxembourg, but globally um, it's 4.7 tons. But that hides vast regional disparities. Um, so for Luxembourg... Some data I found was around 13 tons. I think for the US, it was also around 14 or 15. Um, but in Malawi, for example, it's 0.08. Mm. Um, so obviously you have huge differences between um, Western countries and the global south. Um, but then even within Western countries, I think for the Netherlands, it was somewhere around uh, nine point something uh, tons of CO2. Um, but perhaps also because they have a lot more soft mobility and a lot mm. more cycling and less polluted cities. Um so yeah, it's uh, it is definitely Luxembourg is definitely up there with yeah. some of the, the the top polluting countries. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is exactly related, but I remember hearing that um, Luxembourg reaches it, oh, its overshoot day extremely early in the year. Um, overshoot day is the day that uh, when a country is kind of de- depleted its resources that can be regenerated by the earth in the space of a year. And Luxembourg came second in the world this year, I think, only after Qatar, yeah. and it reached that day in early February. February, um, yeah. I mean, does that mean that Luxembourg's particularly unsustainable compared to the rest of the world? Or it performs particularly bad in, in, in terms of, you know... I think part of the results um, of the overshoot day are also linked to the fact that obviously the country is very small right. <laughs> and it needs to um, import a lot of resources um, which it doesn't have on its own. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, we also still have this issue of fuel tourism, which has decreased as prices have gone up. Um, but there's a lot of consumption that happens in the country also because of the 200,000 cross-border commuters who come in every day. Um, so I think that the, the statistic is slightly to okay. be taken with a bit of a pinch of salt mm-hmm. um, because, and in a way, it is the situation in Qatar is not unlike the situation of Luxembourg because it's very small. Obviously, Qatar is an oil-producing country, so it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, but nonetheless... Um, I think if you look at most Western European countries, um, Earth Overshoot Day, I think the global average is July or something by now, June or July. Mm-hmm. Um, and most Western countries um, sort of off, off are a lot earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that Luxembourg, you know, isn't 
polluting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it has one of the, you know, it has one of the highest rates of car ownership and all of these kinds of things. Um, but yeah, so hopefully the the, yeah. the updated PNEC will will help push Earth over today <laughs> a bit further into the year. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. All right. Um, well, thank you for talking to us about that. I'm going to play a track now and then we'll come back and look at some events that you picked out for people uh, to look forward to in Luxembourg this week. Right now, we're back in the studio with Cordula from Delano for Delano's Top of the Week. And we're going to look at some events that she's picked out for you guys to look forward to in Luxembourg this week. What have we got up first? Well, it's not really an event, but do remember to register to vote by five o'clock today. It's your last opportunity if you want to vote in the local elections. Um, no matter which commune you're in, you can uh, register via my guichet or go to your citizen's office. Yes, um, yes, yes. Deadline is today. Exactly. Uh, and there's also a website called icanvote.lu. Where, where you find detailed inst- instructions, but I think it's quite straightforward. I think it's yeah. fair. I mean, I, I don't have to do it because I've got Luxembourg citizenship, right. <laughs> but I've, I've seen other people do it and it yeah. looks quite simple. It is, it is. <laughs> I've, I've done it. All right, okay. And, uh, well, then up next. Moving on to proper event events. Mm-hmm. Um, on Wednesday, the 19th of April, um, there is Django Bates' Beloved. Um, Django Bates is a British jazz pianist who mm. um, teams up with a double bass and uh, drums for his jazz trio Beloved. And they are playing at the Philharmonie from 7.30pm on Wednesday. And there's an artist talk just before the performance um, that starts at 7 o'clock if you want to hear more from the artists about their work. And uh, tickets for that and everything are on philharmonie.lu. Sounds good. And then... The final one, or do we have two now? Because I have two more. Two more. All right. Okay. <laughs> Up next, then. <laughs> um, on Saturday, uh, the twenty-second of April, there's an open day of Luxembourg's institutions, so you can visit um, Parliament, uh, different ministries, the State Council, the Prime Minister's Office, the Central Bank, and so on and so oh, forth. Nice. Um, it's an opportunity to look inside some really beautiful and historic buildings mm-hmm. um, that aren't otherwise open to the public, and it's also an opportunity. For example, in Parliament, there'll be a couple of lawmakers about, um, and you can meet other officials, have a chat with them um, and that starts at 10 o'clock in the morning I think it goes until 5 or 6 p.m. in the evening um, there's a Facebook event where you can find all of the details and also the different um, sort of institutions have all the information on their websites nice they have they have something like this in, in Glasgow um, it's just called Open Doors Day where a lot of kind of institutions open their doors and anyone can go and have a look around it's a nice it's a really nice thing because you get to see a lot of buildings that you probably would never end up in um, exactly yeah and a lot of them are very nice because I mean we get to go in for press conferences and these yeah. kinds of things um, and some of them are really really beautiful and it's definitely worth kind of seeing some of the architecture and what they've, what they've done with them and do those things need to be booked or can people just show up throughout the day? Nope, you just show up throughout the day. Okay. Um, go to the ones that interest you. Um, one of them also includes the um, that big tower, the convention center in, in Kirchberg, um, oh. which has the energy, housing, uh, transport, and I think police ministries in it. Um, and you can go all the way up to the 22nd floor um, wow. and just sort of enjoy the view of, uh, of Luxembourg City from there. Nice. And w- where can people find information about all the buildings? Which ones are available? Or so there open? is there is a there is a Facebook event, okay. um, which has like a map uh, of all of the ones that are open okay. um, and all of the other details. And of course, we'll also put it on on Delano.lu. It's actually yeah, you can it's already in our agenda. So you right. can find it there. Excellent. <laughs> and now a final a final event. <laughs> the final event um, is also on Saturday, twenty second of April at four o'clock in the afternoon. There is a lecture by um, a writer and filmmaker called Julia Jack. She is based in London, um, and the lecture is on transgender lives and representation. That's at Mudem. It's hosted in the framework of an exhibition by a US transgender artist called Tourmaline. Um, there's no extra fee for the lecture, but you do have uh, to pay entrance for the museum. So you can go and see the exhibition as well. Um, and the details for that are on mudem.com. Excellent. 
Cordula, thank you for coming in for Delano's Top of the Week this week. We're going to end things with a personal pick from you. What do we have this week? Well, I was going to suggest the song by Jesse Ware that is already in your... In um, our track of the week uh, exactly. voting. Exactly. Yeah. So you can put in a vote for that. Um, I'll kind of vote for, for you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, since that is already taken, yeah. I'm just going to suggest another book, as I always do. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm eternally impressed by uh, the amount of books that you managed to get through. It's, it's, it's really impressive. <laughs> What's this um, one about? So this one is called The Brutish Museums by Dan Hicks. Um, obviously, a wordplay on the British Museum. Um, Hicks is a curator at the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford, um, which among its exhibits includes some of the famous Benin bronzes that were looted um, in the 19th century during the sacking of Benin City. And he's an archaeologist and anthropologist, um, and he looks at um, art restitution um, and uh, sort of the role that museums play today in in perpetuating colonialism and uh, those crimes. And he really makes an argument that um, as long as these objects are on display in the way that we currently show them, um, it's sort of like this unfinished event of, of violence. It's really not an easy read. It's quite challenging. It's got a lot of sort of theoretical concepts from like anthropology and um, and uh, you know museum curation and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's worth persevering and it's really yeah very thought provoking. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, that's my that's the Brutish Museum. The Brutish Museum. All right. Yeah. Can I ask? Do you read one book at a time, or are you kind of do you kind of go between books? Oh, I go between. I yeah. I probably have about seven books or so. Yeah, I, I can't do that. At I, the have moment. To, I have to start and finish it I can't just read two books at the same time but then also sometimes I just like like I sort of lose I I lose interest a little bit and then I start something new because I buy a new book and then Mm. I want to read the new book Um, so I've I've had some books on my nightstand that have sort of entered Costa area right Uh, (laughs) but usually at some point I will go back and finish them yeah all right, brilliant. Well, that's the Brutish Museum uh, Cordula's recommendation f- uh, for Delano's Top of the Week this week. Cordula, thank you for joining me today and we will see you or one of your colleagues next week. See you then. Brilliant. <laughs>